Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome to Prospect Magazine's podcast, Headspace, which is now in a new weekly format where we bring together prospect editors and writers pushing the question, what's the big idea? I'm Tom Clark, editor of Prospect, and one exciting article in the latest issue concerns terrible men and the art that they make. Can we still enjoy it? Shahida Bari, who's a writer and scholar, wrestled with that dilemma in our pages. When we ask that question, should we sanction an artist? Should we enjoy or appreciate an artist? Or should we question our relationship to the work of art? We're also shifting the burden slightly to us. In the shadow of the Harvey Weinstein scandal and the Me Too movement, people might well be feeling more uneasy than ever before about enjoying the work of dubious individuals. With me in Westminster is our uh, digital editor, Stephanie Boland, our book supremo, um, Samir Rahim and um, Shahida herself. A warm welcome (laughs) to you all. Now, it's been a tumultuous time in, um, I don't know if to say gender relations or in the discussion of abuse or what to call it, but it's been a tumultuous um, uh, time, Shahida. Um, And um, so do you think um, that we're seeing a really lasting change as part of that in the relationship between the person who's looking at art and their thoughts about the person who made the art? Or is it just a, a, a Hollywood passing fashion? Well, you say it's a tumultuous time and certainly it's been eventful, um, but the article came about, it begins with a sense of wariness, actually. I feel like these are conversations that have happened in perhaps in a, at a smaller scale previously and that... Um, the article begins with Cellini, it begins with um, the statue of Perseus severing the head of Medusa, and Cellini was a terrible man. Um, I think it's quite obvious if you read his biography, Um, but Cellini is a brilliant artist, and we revere his work. roughly 500 years ago. Yeah, about 16th century, Um, you can go and see it in the uh, square uh, adjacent to the Uffizi in Florence. Um, But what I mean by saying I I begin the article with a certain wariness is that you think that this is a tumultuous moment and that it harbours some enormous cultural change. But actually history, history tells us that terrible men do awful things and that art endures, art always endures. And I say that with great regret and pessimism. I think it is a tumultuous time. I hope something different is about to happen, but I'm not sure that history tells us that that is the case. Okay, so the discussion will be different about things that are coming out now, but perhaps 50 years after any of these characters are dead, people will be 
enjoying them like none of this ever happened. Um, Steph, I mean, where, where, where do you see this? Could you imagine sitting down and enjoying, say, Annie Hall in the way that you might have done a few years ago? I've never watched Annie Hall, I have to, <laughs> have to say. Um, I, I have a slight lack of patience with the themes of Woody Allen films even before the, the allegations really came to the service recently with um, Dylan Farrow going once again, not for the first time it should be said on record. Um, one, th- one thing that I think is interesting and that maybe you were getting at there, um, showed is the difference between enjoying art and who gets to make that art in that when you talk about things possibly changing now, um, there's a question of whether art endures. But is there a difference between watching a Woody Allen film and enjoying it, which, as you say, we kind of can't help the things that we like sometimes in your essay, um, or deciding to work with Woody Allen or give Woody Allen an award? Um, and I wondered if there's something to be unpicked there about enjoying something or facilitating the creation and, and frankly, the careers of some of these men. Yes, well, I, I think, and you're right that they're interlocked in a certain way, that we sanction artists with our pleasure and our approbation, right? Um, but, and you're lucky that you don't care for Woody Allen, so you don't <laughs> have to cope with that that question. But there is also a, a kind of, I mean, I come as a, a, a someone with a philosophical background, and that was what I was trying to inject into this conversation, a question about the relationship between morality and beauty. And it, 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 it occurs to me that also that we are, when we ask that question should we sanction an artist should we enjoy or appreciate an artist or should we question our relationship to the work of art we're also shifting the burden slightly to us that some usually a a man forgive me but usually a terrible man has done something really horrendous and then the burden is on us to wrestle with our conscience about our relationship to their work and so we are implicated because art asks us to engage but it also that that question itself is also a shifting of the burden to us, and I'm I'm not always sure that that question whether we should enjoy or sanction artists is itself the most important one. And in fact, as you say in my article, I try to say the more interesting question to to me, the one that we have to wrestle with as people who you know watch films and love songs or or, or read novels by problematic writers whatever it is is whether we can help our relationship to those works of art and in that case that says something very particular about the nature of art which i think is is that we we can't extricate ourselves from art is it not samia um i mean one person who pops up in this piece is alfred hitchcock a master of um kind of you know manipulation and, and, and terror and it turns out in in life he was manipulating and terrorizing people in on, on the set it, in one sense that that shouldn't be surprising you know there, there are dark sides to the human psyche and the people who have those dark sides run out of control are maybe the best at playing with them in the audience exactly and one of the most troubling questions which i think is raised um by your piece, Shahida, is that um, it is actually perhaps those uglier touches, those darker aspects of the artist um, that we most respond to. And that is actually very, uh, obviously very, very troubling. Um, You you start off by talking about Cellini, and that made me think about um, Caravaggio. And um, his final painting, which was on the Caravaggio exhibition a few years ago at the National Gallery, um, which is a portrait of David slaying Goliath. And Goliath's head is a self-portrait of Caravaggio himself. Now, Caravaggio himself was somebody convicted of murder. Um, and 
he was also had very troublesome relationships with um, uh, men and women, you could say, in a, sort of in the same way that Cellini did. It's a wonderful painting. It's absolutely shocking. It's a plea for mercy. It's a recognition of his own guilt. Um, but it's also, again, very skillfully portraying himself as the victim in this situation. He ultimately has the last word because his genius produces an image which is so startlingly uh, and terrifyingly beautiful that you can't help but sympathise with him. And in fact, there is a story that this painting was painted and uh, presented to um, a cardinal who had the power to, to pardon him. It was literally a painting that was uh, designed to save his life. So when we come to think about um, who gets to make art, the question that you were, you were raising, Stephanie, just now, um, we have to see that the trope of the male as troubled victim is so persistent through history that um, you can be forgiven for getting a bit tired of it. Now, that's the kind of thing that perhaps, Steph, we can imagine changing more easily than, than some of the, the trickier things about whether our emotional relationship with the work is going to change. You can imagine what bosses get to commission and who's got the leisure time, a room of one's own, as it were, in order to write. Those, th those things can and do change, right? Yeah, maybe we'll all get sick of watching films about kind of a troubled male professor who doesn't feel great about his mum, so hooks up with a younger student <laughs> before we actually um, decide to make a moral case not to work with people like Woody Allen. Um, but I wanted, coming to, to your point about um, art and morality, Shahida, and um, Samir, what you were just saying about the types of morality that we put into those works, you end your essay on this really kind of an, uh, sort of optimistic, fascinating note about women artists and about people who do refuse to uncouple beauty and morality but do it in the positive and you have this really striking line um why be a troubled genius when you can be a kind and generous one um and i wanted to ask you about that because one one of the other things about who gets to make art is i've noticed we spend a lot of time apparently not you but in the press talking about oh will this person's films not be made and what might we be losing out on if we don't let these films be made Whereas actually, to me, possibly the more compelling question is what work has not been made because of women who have left these industries or whose work hasn't been promoted. So I wanted to ask you a bit about that and that, that cautious note of optimism maybe at the yes. end. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, to um, respond to, to that and also to Samir's po earlier point about um, that there is something in artworks perhaps sometimes the best and most compelling and piercing work that speaks to something dark, that's Freud, and I mentioned Freud too at the end of the essay, um, and it, that, that Freud thinks it's the particular power of art, that it articulates the thing that all the philosophers and all the moralists have been trying to articulate, and there's something illicit in art, or art is a vehicle for the, an illicit expression. But um, there is something really troubling about the idea that that... The, the kind of special status allotted to the artist sanctions certain kinds of behaviours or permits them a certain kind of behaviour. And that is really troubling. And as you say, I try to think about, um, I, I, I kind of say there's a naivety in us to think that artists who depict the worst of human experience have not themselves engaged in awful 
the, the most the worst of human experience or experienced it themselves in some way and there's a kind of naivety to think that that work doesn't come from the real world or real experience but at the same time exactly as you say Stephanie we have this culture of endorsing or privileging the troubled artist the Byronic hero and it's usually a man and on the flip side of that are lots of incredible brilliant women who are trying it seems to work to me to be working unharassed and unabused and they want the permission to make the work they would otherwise make and maybe this is an opportunity for us to start to sanction and endorse the work of brilliant women instead of terrible men are there women you can think of samir who were brilliant artists and horrible people maybe not horrible in quite, <laughs> in, in, in quite the same same kind of um what's the word uh predatory way as as, as men because that's a rather gendered thing but um I, I, I mean i'm thinking of um jenny diskey's piece about doris lessing, doris lessing mm, where yes. you know nobel prize winning writer she comes across as very cold and inhuman in some ways and yet that might have been part of her genius no, absolutely. Doris Lessing. Um, it's the 100th anniversary of Muriel Spark, who mm. um, is a fantastic author, but there is a sort of iciness that runs through her work. Um, when you think about her own troubled, uh, her troubled early um, life in the 1940s and 50s, where she um, uh, travelled to Africa with her husband, who turned out to be mentally deranged and almost killed her. She didn't start writing until uh, she was past 40. Um, so she went through a whole range of experiences that shaped um, her own work. Um, she was a very difficult woman. She had bizarre demands. For example, she um, she demanded that all her translators into other languages were male. <laughs> I don't really know why she did that, but she she had built up this sort of protective layers um, and could drop people, you know. But in a way, she was behaving in a way which was very much the same as other male writers of the time, you know, Norman Mailer and Gore Vidal in New York in the 60s were behaving terribly as well. Uh, the thing I'm trying to get at, Steph, here is whether there's a sort of um, single-mindedness that might make someone not, for example, a very good friend, that might also make them a rather good creative, and yet it sometimes it seems with men express itself in this particular kind of abusive way, but um, it, that might be a symptom of a of a wider thing about um, people who are just obsessed with their creation and prepared to sacrifice others for it. Yeah, this is something that's come up. I know that very interesting Paris Review piece that sort of moved from talking about abusive men who are abusive in their personal relationships to Jenny Ophelia's art monster and the idea that you have to be slightly monomarchal to make art. Um, there has to be something wrong with you to be an artist. <laughs> to be an artist, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but I think it's sort of a false equivalency to go, there are men who harass and then there are women who are art monsters, so they, you know, cast off their children and their work. And you do have to be slightly selfish to make art because our culture doesn't reward it in the same way that going to work and making money is considered a very normal thing to do. To decide to lock your children in the other room with your husband and stop showing up for the PTA meeting and write books instead is, to us, still bizarrely monstrous. Um, but whether that's the equivalent to men behaving in interpersonally abusive ways, I mean, there are also abusive women writers, and I find it quite odd if we're going to draw 
you know, the male version is that you beat your wife and the female version is that you you're a selfish art monster. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Those are very much not the same thing. Um, and it's also, it seems to me, we're also what what's making this moment interesting is that we're talking about a culture as well and in a way I think it is a bit distracting to offer the counter argument that there are women can be terrible people too we're talking about a culture of men who behave in these entitled and awful ways and and, and uh, yeah absolutely and uh, just uh, it's so strange uh, when I was a just a short anecdote when I was at university um uh, a theatre an aspiring theatre writer who's in fact quite a well-known and successful one now. Um, he had a crush on a girl. He wrote a play about her. He then cast her in the play and played himself as the lead. And then he set up a scene in which he had a kind of quite sort of icky, romantic love scene with her in so it. So he got to snog her by... Smog and, and more. I mean, it's just... And so and everyone was absolutely aware of what was happening. Um, and what the tragedy was, you spoke to the um, um, to the female actor involved and she was like, she was a little bit unsure of it, but there was still, even, you know, when we were 19 or 20, this idea that, well, you know, he was the great auteur, he was going to be the great successful man and there must be an artistic reason for this. And what we have to also remember is that whilst great art... Um, and abuse is a troubling question. Most art is terrible, and when you see <laughs> when you see so a terrible the culture, editor, <laughs> yeah. well, that's we have to select things, don't we? And so, yeah. and when when you see a terrible pay being presented, and somebody essentially using their position of power to you know, effectively sexually exploit someone yeah. on stage, it's deeply uncomfortable. So. Let's and if I ever do a profile of him, then I'll uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll be sure to mention that. But that, you know, all those all those Hollywood the the kind of King Kong films, they're all versions of that scenario, aren't they? Whether the the monster or the animal is a proxy for the director <laughs> or yeah. the writer to have yeah. a relationship with a, a hot Hollywood woman, <laughs> and so there there is a history of that kind of rep, self representation and that um, that that exercise of desire in an artistic s scenario that i mean there's a history of that mm. C can we just because one thing that's distinctive and new about your piece as you said is 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 that it deals a bit with philosophy and so on as well because we're talking here about some of the specific things of you know particularly theater and film where there's this kind of make-believe world that you can have alongside the real world but you're talking about well, tell us, uh, Rousseau and, and, and other philosophers who've kind of yeah. helped built up high ideals and failed to live by them. Well, when uh, I was thinking about this article, when you guys came to me and asked me to think about it, uh, I thought that there were a great number of clever, um, polemical and pointed think pieces about this subject, of course, and it was important. And I was trying to think about what I could lend to this discussion. And it seemed to me that the conversation we were having about these directors and actors and novelists or editors was a, converse, a conversation that philosophy has never had about its own house. Mm. It's very untidy house. And that if you work in such a masculine tradition like philosophy, the, the master discipline, philosophy, um, then it, you're, you deal constantly, A, with philosophers who behave in terrible ways, but also the very material, your substance, you know, your thinkers are 
men, generally men, who have not had the best record. So I list Heidegger, and I Heidegger, um, of course, who was, um, who, who, you know, was uh, a, a member of the Nazi party. Mm. He was a member of the Nazi party, mm. and he actively profited um, academically in terms of his um, position um, from his membership of the Nazi party, and whose work, I, I mean, I think most philosophers would say that he has been the most significant philosopher of the 20th century and has had a lasting impact on my own work, as I, I, I confess. So lots of us ha have have relationships with Heidegger's thoughts. Not many of us have relationships with Heidegger's politics. And that seemed to me awfully remiss. Um, Rousseau, you mentioned, Rousseau, you know, famously um, or infamously um, abandoned, we think at least five of his children. Um, the, the story is on, on, the, on, the, on the doorstep um, of, the, um, of an orphanage in Paris. Uh, there are children with his mistress. And then Rousseau goes on to write Emile, an education in 1762, which is about the education of young people. Um, and it, it occurred to me that in that situation, in Rousseau's situation, that 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 manifests as a kind of paradox in his work but it doesn't prevent you from reading rousseau but what manifests as a paradox in philosophy is hypocrisy i think in art that you could be someone like louis ck who um you know espouses um kind of passionately uh, feminist positions in his sketches and behaves in deeply misogynistic ways. That strikes me as a hypocrisy rather than a paradox. And I wanted to understand what the difference was, why philosophers can live with all of those contradictions, but why it's so much more penetrating a problem in art, it seems to me. I mean, I wondered reading what you put, whether, you know, if you extend this even further into... Um, mathematics you know and if you think that Pythagoras or Archimedes or whatever turned out to be some dreadful predatory paedophile I mean it wouldn't matter to their proofs would it that, that, that there comes a point where there's types of reasoning that that we evaluate completely independently of the life story of the the person and there's a kind of spectrum and your Rousseau's on the middle and then maybe your kind of um troubled artist is um if we can call them that still on the on the other side of the spectrum do you think that's right that, that philosophy is kind of like a middle a middle case where there is some sort of more objectivity than there is in in pure art maybe but i think you're right that uh, that art is exceptional i mean and the philosophers say that of art I, I also try to to flag that in the article the philosophers say art is an exceptional genre or body of work it works it's it's mode of engagement is entirely different art um so kant you know makes a kind of special case for art the the third critique is about aesthetics it's about the status of art he starts with reason he goes on to morality and he ends with art and he says the thing about art the exceptional status of art is that we ought not to read art uh, in terms of politics biography history we uh, we we ought to understand art purely in it on its own terms that's his definition of art and yet that seems to me actually an improbable and stupid one that we could ever <laughs> read art without all of that clutter and apparatus and art penetrates right I mean even Greta Gerwig said when she disowned her relationship with Woody Allen her his mentoring and her, her relationship and involvement in his films she acknowledges those films have formed me those films have formed me do you worry that we're going to throw good art out as a result of this conversation or do you think that art will endure 
Um, I don't worry about that too much. Um, I think that people will make great films and, and great art um, in the future. Um, I think that um, when we have a case like someone like Roman Polanski, who has been convicted of um, an appalling crime, um, it is pretty galling to see people line up behind him and continue to work with him. Um, and I feel like although art is always going to be tainted by humanity, as you, as you, as you mentioned, uh, Shahida, um, and the flaws that are inherent in, in people, what we could do is perhaps um, put artists, uh, bring them back down to earth a little bit. It wouldn't do any harm and for us to judge them as people in the way that we would judge anyone else, even though the things that they create are a slightly separate thing from them. Can you find anything to dis disagree with in that, Steph? No, I think I think it goes back to that question of of facilitating new art versus viewing art that's already in existence, and possibly we have more to do on the latter than dig into on the former. And I wanted just one final word from you, Sheed, on um, the, the the question about actors vis-a-vis -vis, um, uh, directors or producers or whatever. Um, where do you think they sit on the? Um, Spectrum. We've had a big hoo-ha about Kevin Spacey um, supposedly having abused lots of people and then being um, uh, pulled mid-series out of House of Cards. Is that... Um, that's very different from Harvey Weinstein, isn't it? Because he's one cog in the machine, as it were, even if a very glamorous cog. Do you think that's the same... Well, I think the um, the replacement of Spacey with Christopher Plummer in All the Money in the World, the, the film about Getty, uh, Ridley Scott's film, how easily that was done. I think it took a lot of money. But that they turned that around in weeks. That says to you that you can fix these problems, actually. It isn't devastating to remove a terrible, uh, a terrible person from a film. Um, there are things that you can do uh, that the mechanism of fil film is not so heavy. But, but the thing that I would like, to end with, I think, is to say that um, that uh, when I wrote the piece, Kate Winslet had said that she'd thought hard about working with Woody Allen and she decided that he was a great director. And subsequently, since my piece has come out, she's changed, she, it sounds like, yesterday she was, she gave a speech expressing regret working with some vaguely defined directors um, and acknowledging that that had caused pain. So. People change their mind. Actors think. So he the conversation <laughs> is rolling on, but our conversation is going to stop here now. That's it for Headspace this time. So huge thanks to Shahida and Stephanie and Samir. The February edition of Prospect magazine, which is in the shops from Thursday, features um, Shahida's full essay as well as Brendan Cox on the uh, errors of the cosmopolitan worldview and a prospect look at why the French are so unhappy. You can pick it up in the shops, but even better, if you've enjoyed the discussion, visit prospectmagazine.co.uk and hit subscribe. I'm Tom Clark, the producer was Jay Elwes, who's our executive editor, and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.